Um, before we have our message, I wanted to share just kind of a quick update. Last week we mentioned we were going to have in, we were going to have a COVID-19 statement, and so I wanted to share that. Uh, you know, for the past nine months, um, the Vineyard has prayerfully been discerning how to best worship Jesus. I mean, that's just been constantly on our on our minds as leaders, I think, in our different teams. But you know, we want to remain faithful to Scripture uh, while also providing a safe space for people to connect with God and others. And I think we'd all agree that this has been really challenging to figure out. And I, as, as I've said, I know that there's a gazillion different opinions on everything. It's really fun to receive those. Uh, I file them away. Just kidding. Uh, but for the past three weeks, our leadership team, uh, which is a group of people who have been, uh, he's just been really committed to Jesus. I first want to say that. But they've also been very committed to this church, to each other. We've we've met, we've been praying, we have text mess, message threads. Uh, we have uh, tons of emails going back and forth. And we've just been praying a lot in order to do our best in relation to the next few weeks here in Red Bluff. And, you know, I think with, with the growing number of COVID cases, we felt like it'd be smart to start really just talking a little bit more about um, whether or not we needed to pivot. And I think we've uh, talked about that quite a bit. In fact, I, I love the word pivot, but, you know, it's almost becoming like the word unprecedented. Anybody else hate that word? <laughs> like, I'm like, if I hear that word one more time, I might punch somebody. It just might happen. Like, oh, psh, oh I'm sorry. It's just a natural reaction. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> um, you know, so before I share some of the details of, of what, we're, uh, what we've really discerned the Lord leading us to do is I want to mention um, that what's become increasingly more important in our thinking about safety is our commitment to all aspects of human health. And I want to just mention that the vineyard, our, our, the tradition we're a part of, has since the um, late 70s and the early 80s been committed to healing um, in every aspect. So we would say physical healing matters. We would say mental illness um, and healing matters. Uh, we would also say emotional and then spiritual, like all aspects of human ontology or being matters to us. Like we're not just trying to focus on one or the other. And I think that's what's been really challenging for uh, a lot of people because uh, I think it's safe to say, doesn't it sometimes feel like we've only focused on one thing for a long time? Or is that just me? Yeah, okay. I don't know. I can't see any of you anyway. So, But we've been, you know, really wrestling with that. And in, as of now, we intend to continue um, providing numerous spaces for people to worship in, including continuing to gather in person in our building. And so we're going to continue to live stream our services on Facebook, on YouTube. Um, we also, you know, we actually bought an FM transmitter for the radio. Do, do any of you listen to the radio anymore? Like, this is the coolest thing ever. There's this thing we can plug in that will allow a certain um, circle of of broadcasting on radio. So if you want to come and park outside because you're not comfortable coming in, you can do that now and turn, turn into, tune into our radio station that we just started. Um, and so, yeah, I was like, well, okay. Does anybody listen to the radio, though, by show of hands? Just out of oh, okay, you guys, there's some weirdos in here. That's cool. Uh, anybody got X, XM, though, or X, X, Cyrus or whatever? Yeah. No? Okay. How do you know what it's called? But I listen to podcasts. But um, anyway, we, you know, we've really tried to do all that we can to provide as many different spaces for people to be able to connect with God and to also um, stay connected in some way uh, or shape or form. So we're doing that. And we're well aware of how diverse our church is. And I have said from day one, and I will continue to say, you know, I don't care if other people are going to get on Facebook and, you know, go crazy with judging people or shaming people. 
We're not going to be that way from our church's leadership. If you feel uncomfortable gathering in person, that's totally okay. We want to encourage you to, to tune in on our live stream services. We provide those for you. It's a lot of work. I want to give a huge shout out. You probably won't like it, but there's a guy running around here. Where's Will at? Is Will, is he still? Will is back. Look back there. There's a guy with a, uh, he looks like a bank robber. Um, everybody does these days. But Will is, is here, and he's running our live streaming, so he's got, like, multiple cameras and doing all this crazy stuff so we don't have to. But we're doing that in order to provide more spaces for people to be able to connect. Um, and so, again, I just want to mention, if you're, if you're uncomfortable with gathering in person, no harm, no foul. We will not be mad at you. But we felt, as a leadership team, in taking the whole consideration of health, we felt like it was really important for us to continue to have a space for people to gather in person. And one of the reasons why is because I'm having increasingly more conversations with people who are struggling with drug addiction, alcohol addiction, suicide, depression, etc. And so I know that this space is an important part of being able to provide a place for people to be able to connect with Jesus, but also to connect with each other. And we really feel like because we're all trying to um, you know, follow some guidelines, which we're, you know, basically, I hate the mask, okay? You can raise your hand if you agree. I think most of us do. It's just, ah, okay? But in order for us to continue to have a safe space where we can feel reasonably we're, we're minimizing the risk, we feel like we can continue to do that because we're wearing masks, we're social distancing, there's been lots of air hugs, um, and I know some of you are sneaking hugs when I'm not looking, okay? <laughs> but I'm not judging you. I know Terry's like, licking my neck. I'm like, Terry Blake, stop licking my neck. That's awkward. Uh, he hasn't done that. <laughs> Don't do that. I want to be very clear. That was not an invitation. Okay. Very clear. But uh, anyway, so that's, that's kind of the, the plan right now. Um, and so we're going to do all that we can to continue to provide a safe space. But we just really feel like it's important for us to be able to continue gathering. This is not a political statement. I want you to know that. I, this is not based off of anything any political party says or any governors do or don't say. This is just what we feel the Lord is leading us to do. And that's what's most important for me as a follower of Jesus and as a pastor of a church community. Amen? So if you have any questions, feel free to talk to Dawn. She would love to field all of your debates. <laughs> just kidding, Dawn. She's just so nice, though. Um, to you guys. Can we, can we stand and pray together, though? Would you be willing to do that? Um, I, I just want to let you know, um, I'm sorry, but we just love you guys so much. And, um, you know, the stuff that we, I mean, I look back at the last year, and I, I just cannot wait till January 1st. Actually, it's probably going to be April, I'll admit it but just to be able to take my 2020 calendar and burn it. Can't wait. But it's been a really hard year. Just, just doing church is like exhausting. It's been so exhausting emotionally, and, and yet um, we also have had grace, and the Lord has continued to provide. I mean, just it's been a miracle. I do believe it's a miracle. And, you know, with the stuff that we're now facing as a family, um, with my father's cancer and and just all the stuff that we're now on top of it, I just want to let you know how much it means to Don and I and to our family that you are just praying for us and, and we feel supported. Like a lot of people have said to me, you shouldn't feel bad at all if you're not able to be around here. And I've been saying, I don't at all. <laughs> I don't. I, I just feel like very confident that we can continue to, to be a community, 
to worship. We have people in our church that are willing to use their gifts. I would love to invite you to be a part of that. If you're not serving in any way, shape, or form, please talk to somebody um, here. I mean, I think Terry Dean, who's back there in the little sound booth, she'd be a great person. Terry, look back there. Okay. Terry Dean's amazing. Um, she will get you into things because I'll forget. It's just how it is. It's always been that way. But, but I want, from the bottom of my heart, I want you to know how much I love you all. I appreciate you. We pray for you all the time. And, you know, to those who are live streaming and, and participating in those, same thing. Like, we're, we've trying really hard to, to pastor this really weird thing called whatever we are. I don't, COVID church. I, I don't know what it is, but um, we, we just want you to know how much we love you. And, and so I just like to pray. So, Father, as we um, are about to spend a little bit of time in Scripture and, and really thinking more about Jesus and the incarnation and, and what Christmas really truly is about, um, before we do that, I just want to express gratitude and thank, thankfulness for this church community, for our leaders, Lord. We, we're so grateful for their, their sacrificial service, their willingness to, to, to be here way more than, than is um, oftentimes reasonable. Um, and I just thank you for everybody's continued giving, their support, their, their service, Lord, and just the, just the emotional um, support that we have continued to experience for one another. And so I just pray now also for all the other churches in our community that you would grace them with your presence and continue to help them to be lights on, on hills, that they would, they would point people to Jesus. And we thank you for all that you're doing for us. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. You can be seated. So, you know, one of the things about me personally is that I love history. I mean, I love history. I love reading history books. I love studying history, um, world history. I love studying just anything to do with history. And when it comes to history, one of the things I, I really love as a pastor, Bible theology guy, is I love this, the history of the Bible. I think that there's some really fascinating things about history. And, and I really do believe that studying history helps us to avoid repeating mistakes that have been made in history. I mean, if you have any um, opportunity to study history, what you'll discover is that human beings have been screwing things up for a really long time and making a lot of the same mistakes over and over again, right? It's like, it doesn't take very long before you're like, oh, that's another, yet another example of that. And so I love history, but I also love um, understanding why things happen. I think that's connected to my appreciation for history. Like, I'm really fascinated, and this has really become challenging now in the context we're in, but I've always been really fascinated about political theory and, and why certain people hold to different political positions they hold. And, I, and I've always just been fascinated by that, or, or just communities in general. Like, I have always loved going to different countries and going to like villages in Kenya and, and learning about the history as to how this village and this tribe came to be as well as continues to function. I just, I think that's really fascinating. And a couple of years ago, we spent Christmas, our Advent season, we spent it looking at the history behind all of our beloved Christmas carols. How many of you love Christmas carols? Like it's, you were, you couldn't wait for the day after Thanksgiving because then you're legally allowed to play them. Because before that, it's blasphemous. How many of you liked it? It's like the best, right? You play, and you're like, oh, my gosh, I love these. I do, too. I, I love the history behind 
the Christmas carols as well. And, and so, um, you know, I, I think that's one of the reasons why, as we just learned, we're having this Christmas caroling event in, a, in uh, this coming uh, Saturday night. Um, and, and, and so the reason why we spent that time, though, was to kind of unpack the history behind why certain Christmas carols were written and, and, and kind of how they came to be. And so I think that history is really fun. And that's one of the reasons why we want to focus on Advent during the season, why the church has for thousands of years looked at this season as Advent and not just Christmas. And so this, this morning what I want to do is I want to unlock the story of Christmas a little bit of uh, uh, for us. And what I want to do, just one aspect of the Christmas story, uh, and what I'm thinking about here is, is, you know, the last few weeks I've been on airplanes flying back and forth to Minnesota, and, and I, every time I get on a plane, I'm sitting at the window um, because I'm able to now, and I have this whole, like, area to myself, and I'm looking out, and, and isn't it amazing when you fly and you look down and you can see everything? Do any of you like that? Like, I love that. I love getting this 30,000 um, foot view. You know, you're, you're looking down like, oh my gosh, you know, that is amazing. I mean, I've seen San Francisco. I've seen Minneapolis now, and those are the only two places I've seen lately. But in the past, I've seen all these other different uh, places um, that I've flown over, and you get this really unique perspective. Like, uh, I remember a few years ago, I flew over Crater Lake. How many of you ever done that? Have you ever seen it? And I remember seeing it, and I was like, oh my gosh, that is the most beautiful thing. I want to someday see that. And then you know, this last uh, August or maybe July, our family went there and I saw it and I'm like, oh my gosh, this thing is huge. If you ever go, it's just absolutely gorgeous. And seeing it in person, but seeing it from, from 30,000 feet is quite different, isn't it? And a lot of things are like that. When we, when we back up and get a big picture of something, it helps us appreciate and understand something. And so this morning, I want to do that. I want to I back up and, and really just think about the story of the Bible, the story of, of, of Christianity, the story of our faith, because I think many of us, maybe right now we're focusing on little baby Jesus, and we're focusing on being generous, and we're thinking about how we can be kind to one another and give gifts as, as examples of, of the generosity of the kingdom. But I think in order to really appreciate the Christmas story, we do need to back up. And so, you know, in the book of Genesis, we have creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And we have the whole, the whole story of creation in Genesis 1 and 2. We have these different perspectives of how everything came to be. And I think as a non-scientist, biblical theologian, what I can tell you is that I don't know how it all happened, but I can tell you that God created everything out of nothing. Okay? And so we have that. And we have creation. And, and it's interesting that after, the, after creation happens, God looks down on everything and he says it was good. He looks down on his creation and he, and he says, this is good, and it was good. And then it doesn't take very long after that for the fall to happen. I mean, I, I think that, you know, scholars debate how long it was before Adam and Eve sinned against God. You know, I've read all these different books, and so there's some people who say, well, it was seven years because seven is the number of perfection, and, you know, that's why you have to go with that number. And there's all these different theories. I'm pretty positive it was like 13 seconds pretty positive. Have you ever been around a human being? Right? Like I've said many a time, I just fascinated by kids. Like they're so cute, right? But, but we also don't teach little toddlers to be terrible. They just are naturally really good at it. Not mine, of course, but right? I mean, kids have this way of just 
They live out their human nature just like all of us did before. And so the fall happens in the, in the, in the, in the story of, of the kingdom, I think, the story of, of our faith. What we have to start at is creation. God creates everything. And then we have the fall happen. And, and right away, human beings rebel against God. And then from there on, we inherit what the Bible calls a sin nature. And we have this struggle with, with God. And what's really cool is that right away in Genesis chapter 3.15, we have a promise of redemption. And so we have a promise, hey, one day a redeemer is going to be able to restore all these things back the way it is. And then as you keep on reading the Old Testament, you see that over and over again as you have all these promises. There's promises of redemption. There's all these different figures that, that point to that. Like, uh, I mean, really perfect example of this that I think many of us, you know, will be familiar with is the story of Moses, right? So the people of Israel, God's chosen people, they get enslaved in Egypt and they're building pyramids and they're doing all these, this slave labor. And then all of a sudden this man, this human being named Moses is raised up by God. And what does he do? He leads the people of Israel out of Egypt so that they can go and worship God. Okay. And he is, Moses is a figure a, a prototype pointing to the ultimate redeemer. And the ultimate redeemer's name is, that was almost like three of you knew. This is wonderful. The ultimate redeemer's name is Jesus, right? But you have these promises, promises of redemption happening all over the place. But this is the crazy thing. As Israel is the people of God that God has, has chosen to work through, what you see when you read the Old Testament is there are all these cycles. There's cycles of failure, and then there's these prophetic reminders where, where God raises up people to speak prophetically to both Israel and to the nations to say, listen, you need to turn back to Yahweh. You need to turn back to Yahweh, the covenant-keeping God of Israel. You need to stop worshiping all those other, other idols, and you need to worship Yahweh. Yahweh is worthy of worship. He is our redeemer. He is our healer. He will be the one who can restore everything for us. And you have these cycles. And then the people of Israel, oftentimes, whether it's the divided kingdom of Judah or, or if it's the unified nation, they, they renew their relationship with God. But you have that cycle over and over again. And the Old Testament is like, have any of you ever read it? It's like, oh my gosh, one minute, it's like peop, the people of Israel are like all gung-ho, and then like 37 seconds later, they're, they're not. Perfect example. Can you imagine being a part of the people of Israel where you're enslaved in Egypt, and then all of a sudden, all these plagues come, and, and, and then um, you have the, the ruler of Egypt say, okay, get out of here. Moses, take them. Just get them out of here. Pharaoh says, just take them. And then they start going, and then the Pharaoh's like, well, on second thought, all that free labor was really good for our economy, so let's go back and get them. And then Pharaoh sends the army, and you're marching along, and you're going across a sea that just got parted, okay, are you with me? A sea got parted, you're walking, you get to the other side, and then Pharaoh's army starts coming after you, and as soon as they're, they're halfway through, the sea closes, and all of the armies that were trying to kill you are destroyed. So you just saw all the plagues where God provides a way for you to get freed, and then God actually frees you and delivers you out of slavery, and then Moses is like, all right, hold on. I need you guys to chill out for a minute. I'm going to go spend some time with God. And the people of Egypt are like, okay, cool. We'll hang out right here. And he goes up there, and then 37 seconds later, they're like, hmm, maybe we should put all our jewelry together, and we should build a golden calf, and then we should worship it. We should worship the thing we just created. 
Do you see what I'm saying? It's like it didn't take very long for the people of Israel to be like totally forgetful about what God had just done for them. And here's the reality. I think if we're honest, we're all the same way. How many of you have had God do something amazing for you and it's just a short time later that you forget that he did something gracious for you? Honestly. Anybody willing to admit it? Yeah, it's just what we do. It's human nature, right? And that's why we have to have prophetic voices to remind us of the faithfulness of God. And so you have that happen all over the place in the Old Testament. There's, there's, when you want to unlock the story of Christmas, you start at creation, you see the fall, you have these promises of redemption, and then you have to note that there's all these cycles that are just happening over and over again where the people of Israel drift. They stop telling the stories of God and they drift. And then they have these prophets get raised up. And so when you're looking at these stories, it's really sad because you see that Israel gets judged. They get exiled. Nations, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, defeat them. And then they get exiled over and over again. And this kind of lays out the predominant feeling of Israel, I think, where it's up and down. And, and they have divided kingdoms. And there's a bad king, a bad king, a bad king, a good king, a bad king, a bad king, a bad king, a, bad king, a good king. And it just keeps on going like that. And so here's what I want to do. We're 700 years before the birth of Jesus. And in Israel, there are, again, these prophets who get raised up by God. So 700 years before Jesus is born, there are two main prophets in all of Israel. One of them is named Isaiah, and the other one is named Micah. And they're both ministering to Israel. One uh, Isaiah was born in the royal palace. He's part of the royal family. And, and Isaiah is, is ministering in Jerusalem, and he's, and he's prophetically speaking to, to the nation, and he's speaking very much to the governmental realm of Israel, and he's calling for the people of Israel to turn back to God and to worship God and to abandon the idols that they have been worshiping. But then there's this other guy named Micah, and Micah is this, this you know, he's, he's born in, a, in an area of, of Israel that was kind of like, it was all the hills. And he's, he's basically in a rural community. And he's in the rural hills of a small community called Shephelah. And so you can see on this graphic, you have Isaiah in, in Jerusalem, and then you have Micah out in the rural communities. And what I love about this is that we see in this, these two contemporaries is that people in large um, city centers, urban centers, and people in rural communities all have to have the word of the Lord spoken to them. Can I get an amen? There's nobody who's off the table, like we've got it all figured out. And so that's what happens. God raises these prophets up. And these contemporaries, they overlap, though. So they're prophesying at the same time. In fact, you can see many of the Christmas verses and songs that we sing are based off of prophecies from these two. In fact, if you look at the book of Isaiah, really quickly, as I flip to Isaiah, here's just two verses that many of you will recognize from from Christmas services from past. In Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, it says, All right, then the Lord himself will give you the sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And then two chapters later, Isaiah chapter 9, we have this other prophecy where, where Isaiah says, For a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, His government and its peace will never end. 
So you have, you have Isaiah prophesying, and, and then you have Micah. And I want to look at Micah today because I think there's something really fascinating about Micah's prophecy about Jesus that we can learn from 2,700 years later. And I want to look at Micah chapter 5, verse 2. But listen to this. This is what Micah says. Micah prophesies, But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, are only a small village among all the people of Judah. Yet a ruler of Israel, whose origins are in the distant past, will come from you on my behalf. So 700 years before Jesus is born, Micah has this prophecy about the city of Bethlehem. He says, hey, you are a small, insignificant city, but out of you is going to come a ruler. Now, when you look at all of the contemporary Jewish scholarship from the days of Micah on, every single Hebrew scholar, Pharisee, leader of of the Jewish religion, has always interpreted this as having to do with the Messiah. Every single one of them. They all see this as, hey, Micah was talking about a messianic figure. He's talking about the Messiah. So Bethlehem was marked as a very special and unique city, even though it was small and insignificant. And this is really fascinating, I think, because when we go back to our unlocking the story of Christmas, we're going to see how this kind of connects in our own lives. But, but here's what happens. Micah, Micah chapter 5, verse 2, is quoted by Matthew, okay, where Matthew um, basically says, hey, listen, um, Matthew's recording this, this story, and so um, Jesus is born in Bethlehem, and Herod is basically trying to figure out where this king of the Jews is born, and so he goes and meets with a bunch of leading priests and teachers of religious law, and he says, where's the Messiah supposed to be born? Where do they say? Bethlehem. And then they quote from Micah chapter, chapter 2. And so let's go back to this unlocking the story of Christmas thing, okay? So we have creation, we have fall, we have the promise of redemption, we have these cycles of failure, we have prophetic reminders, and then we have renewal, and then we have cycles of failure, and it happens over and over and over again. But here's the, the rest of the story is we have fulfillment. All of these promises of redemption and then all these reminders eventually are fulfilled. And guess who fulfills all the promises for redemption? Jesus. Jesus fulfills them. Jesus fulfills every single one of them. So we have Jesus' life, death, resurrection, and all over the Gospels, we have the Gospel writers looking back to Micah and Isaiah and all these different various prophets and saying, oh my gosh, remember when our people were strained from God and God kept on reminding us that Jesus would come one day, the Messiah would come? This is him. This is the one who fulfills all of those promises. It's a really beautiful part of the story. And so what I want to do just for a moment, just really quickly, is I was, as I was meditating on Micah this week, I just kept, or Micah 5, I kept thinking about like the practical application. Because I think that, that, that when it comes to the Bible, I love the Bible, and, and, I, and I think it's important for us to be in the Bible. If you're not reading your Bible every day, you need to start reading your Bible every day if you want to be a serious follower of Jesus. Amen? Okay. You need to. And if you don't know where to start, please let me know. Those are the kind of questions I love. I love those questions. And so we, we look at the Bible, we wrestle with it, and we have to think theologically 
about what the implications of what we read in the Bible means. And then we have to wrestle with how it applies to our lives. And far too many churches and faith traditions out there, I think, do a really good job of talking about what the Bible says and maybe even talking a little bit about theology. But when it comes to, like, putting it into practice, maybe they struggle with it. Or, or there's the vice versa where they're really great at practical. We want to do all of those things. Amen? We want to be in the Bible. We want to think theologically. And then we have to think about how it applies to our lives. So let me tell you what I think we can learn from the this, this city of Bethlehem. We've already looked at what we can learn from the Incarnation. Two weeks ago, we talked about how the incarnation shows us that God is for us, that God understands us, that God redeems all of us, you know, every aspect of human being. We talked about how the incarnation um, helps us know that we need to reassess what beauty actually is. We, we also considered how um, the incarnation tells us and reminds us that God is not afraid of your mess or my mess. Like, he's totally okay with entering into our world. He did that. And so what I want to just for a minute here um, pose is the question of what can we learn about the city of Jesus' birth? And I think it's really simple. Something can be small and insignificant, yet mighty in the Lord. Something can be, be small and insignificant, can be overlooked, can be marginalized, can be less than impressive, but God has no problem coming out of places like that. And so when I think about practical application for you and I, this is what I think. First of all, you might be here and you might be like, well, God doesn't see me or I will never be able to make a difference in the kingdom of God in my insignificant life. I don't have anything to offer. And guess what? Bethlehem speaks differently. Amen? Bethlehem speaks differently. Bethlehem reminds us that God is totally willing to enter into these insignificant spaces because I think that's the best space for him to receive glory. Amen? I mean, just think about it. Like, exactly, you can't do much on your own, but with Jesus and the power of the Spirit, you can do all things. And that's what Bethlehem reminds us of. So on one hand, we, we can see that. But then here's another thing that I, that I think is really fascinating when you look at the Bible, is that humility is the gateway position of the kingdom of God. God loves to lift up and honor that which has been laid low. And I think the challenge for us oftentimes is we need to think about how we can position ourselves in the most humble manner because that is where God's kingdom is at work. Let's stand up together. So as I was praying and reflecting on Micah 5.2 and I think, you know, somewhat reflecting on, like, um, what would this look like for us today? I, I, I did feel like there were two things um, that God wanted to minister to us about. And so I just want to invite the Holy Spirit right now again to continue to be ministering to us. Uh, and if it helps you to close your eyes to be able to hear from God, you're welcome to do that. And so, Holy Spirit, we do just welcome you in this room right now. We, we thank you for your presence. We thank you that we do not serve a God who is detached from our world or disconnected from our lives, but that you are here in this room right now with us. We thank you that you're, you're among us, that you're at work in, in our lives, in the lives of people all around us, God. And so we 
pray, Holy Spirit, come, not because, because we have to say some magical words for you to appear, but we pray that prayer because we want to articulate our desire for you to be active among us right now. So we pray, Holy Spirit, come. Come and minister to us. Come and encourage us. Come and provoke our hearts. Come and convict us of the things that we need conviction of, God. And do whatever it is that you want to do right now. And so with everybody's eyes closed and and if, if you just space a posture where you're wanting to hear from God, I would just want to submit two things to you. And if these things connect with you, great. If not, totally okay. Maybe there's other things that God's doing right now. But I, I, I felt first and foremost that God really wants to encourage a number of you in this room to consider humbling yourself. It was like, I just felt like God was just saying that, you, and I don't even know what, what they are, what situations, but that you know right now that you need to humble yourself before God. And I know how hard that is. It is so hard. But what we read time and time in, in Scripture, we, we read that God resists the proud. So your pride actually gets in the way of God moving. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray right now for anybody in this room that is struggling with hum- humility and humbling themselves and in whatever situation it is, I pray right now that you would give them the conviction and the strength to know that they, they can do it by the power of your kingdom, by the power of your spirit. Would you help, help us to know the areas of our lives that we need to be more humble in? And the second thing I, I sense from the Lord is that I, I do, I think that there's a number of you that really feel insignificant. I think that the Lord was saying that there's a few of you that feel insignificant in, in your uh, like allotment in life, you know, in your vocation, whatever you're doing for a job, you're just, you feel like you're, you're insignificant and it doesn't really matter. And I think some of that also, too, I just had a sense that there's a, some of you that like you've, you've never ever considered really a volunteering, for instance, in this church because you don't think that you bring anything to the table. And I really felt like the Lord wanted you to know that you are not insignificant. It does not matter what your background is or how much information you have or what you can and cannot do in your own strength, but that God would just love to be closer to you and that he wants you to know that you're not insignificant. And, and I want to encourage you just from me that no matter what your job is, if, if you work in a factory or if you're a real estate agent or if you're a teacher or if, you, if you're a stay-at-home dad or mom or whatever it is that you're doing in life, that's not an insignificant space, but God can use it and minister mightily through you to other people. And so, Father, for these two things, Lord, the humility and secondarily for us to be able to... to um, to understand our place and our identity in Jesus, I pray right now, Lord, that you would, you would free us from, from any of the attacks from the enemy or any of the lies that have been spoken over our lives to think that we are insignificant and we don't matter. Would you show us that because of Jesus, we matter immensely? Now, Father, I pray for everybody in this room. If there are people in this room that have not made a conscious decision to follow Jesus, I pray right now that you would 
free them from, from any, anything that's keeping them, any barriers, God, that you would, you would give them grace, that you would help them to know the deep love that you have. And that they would make a decision to follow you and that they would begin to, to live, live out what it looks like to be one of your followers, to engage in prayer and to read scripture and to connect with other Christians, God. I just pray, pray for that in, in your mighty name. And as we transition from this space of, of being gathered in person and, and for those who are, who are connected to us on Facebook or YouTube or whatever it is, God, I pray that you would be with us, that you would keep us safe, that you would keep us connected, and that we would do the work of remaining connected to you, and that you would help each one of us to be a light amongst the world that so desperately needs to come to know Jesus and to come into a relationship with God. We thank you for all that you do. We pray this in your name. Amen. Folks, have a great week. Saturday night, Christmas caroling. Otherwise, next Sunday, 10 a.m.